I wasn't sure I'd ever uh, step out and do my own thing. It took this place to do it. And it is Virginia Tech. This isn't some rinky-dink-ass program. I don't know if I could follow that one up. I'm yelling into the void, and that's what I like doing. <laughs> Pete, nobody's looking at your tweets. We're going to recruit our footprint, and we're going to work our tails off to bring those Virginia kids to Blacksburg. Those situations are the worst when you are on top yeah. of another guy. The relationships are very important to me. That's what this place is built on. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. At 95 Miami, is, is my fondest name. And maybe the experience after the Sugar Bowl with Wes Worsham and J.C. Price on Bourbon Street. <laughs> Come on, J.C. I want to know what you're drinking, Robbie. It is roasty goodness, even though I was out. What's the percent on that? 11. It was a dream come true back then, and it's a dream come true today. Hey, Mom, why don't you try a rail? We're going to put this old guy in a grave for the love of the game. And I mowed the lawn after work before the podcast. Mm, we just got better, guys. Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence, a Sons of Saturday podcast. Virginia Tech beat Old Dominion 36-17. to How are you feeling on this victory Wednesday, Robbie? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth, that's for sure. Uh, actually, no, we are. We're going to break it down, and we're going to go through <laughs> the good. But uh, I... I'm feeling good. I'm feeling. I'm feeling good. The season's off to a good start. It could have uh, started dreadfully, so we should be happy. I mean, there are some teams that want that week one back, yes. and we are not one of them. So, why don't you give us a cheers? Uh, I'll go cheers to uh, a W, and there's some positivity that we'll go through. Some people are actually a lot more positive than I would have expected, especially when we get to our calls. Um, so, I think. Uh, competent offense is how I'll characterize it. Not great. Not, you know, not, not service. I'm not going to say serviceable that that would be insulting after a, a win and, you know, no turnovers and, you know, but competent. Let's put somewhere in there. Yes. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Yeah. Let's get to some of the other stuff that happened because week one I had talked a little bit about it on, on College Football Monday, or a lot about it, just that the biggest story coming out of it was Colorado. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to pull up the AP poll on the screen here just so we can talk a little bit about it with you. That was just so surprising to me. What did you think about them beating TCU? Did you did you have any inkling that was coming? No. No, not with how many not with how much attrition there was on that team. I mean, that is very difficult to do and um, not attrition, like how much, you know, the clean house cleaning, I guess would be the better way to put it. Not like people leaving people getting booted out. Uh, That that's difficult to do it. We know that they had the number one recruit in the nation. We uh, Hunter, right. Uh, And he is uh, an absolute stud, but their quarterback is absolutely legit. Uh, That's uh, that's for sure. So, I was stunned. I think I think at best some people outside of Colby Dant, he'll always let you know if he picks something <laughs> right. They won't be quiet about it. Evidently he had the buffs in this one. Everybody else I heard talk about this game said at best they thought maybe Colorado could keep it close and they ended up uh, pulling the W. Yeah, and Colby is a is a friend of ours who does the sports gambling podcast specifically under that umbrella. It's called the college experience and he's very good at picking games. And he's, he indicated that he, that he took the buffs on, on Twitter. But I told you, like I saw it after the fact, but you're right. Not many people were doing that. Um, It was, it was a very impressive game, especially offensively from Colorado and Shador Sanders, but let's get to some of the other stuff. Obviously Florida state got the big win. You'll see on the screen. If you're watching on YouTube, Utah took down Florida. Washington put a beat down on Boise State. That's usually a team that gives them trouble. We we were picking that game, and man, they looked good. Penix looked good. Oklahoma, I, I know it was Arkansas State, but Arkansas is a pretty decent football program. Yes. And that was a statement, in my opinion. They just, I mean, demolished them. And um, that, that, yes, Arkansas State is a decent team. And um, I think that is a big statement uh, right there that they wanted to send. And then uh, I don't know why A&M is on this graphic, but they, <laughs> they got a win. Connor Wegman, I, had, I said he played well at the very end of CFP Monday, and he did. He had a great QBR. And But UNC 
we were both doubters and that defense looked legit and they got a very nice win against South Carolina. They did 14 points, two touchdowns. I, I didn't, I did not expect that. If anything, I thought it would have been a closer game. Finally on Monday, we were all watching the Duke and Clemson game. And when I talked to Kyle Bailey about it, we were both of the opinion, you know, Duke might give him some trouble. Elko is a good coach, mm-hmm. but Clemson will probably go out and take care of their business. Well, they fell all over themselves fumbled it twice inside the 10, two missed field goals, tons of other mistakes, miscues, whatever you want to call it. Klubnik didn't look good. Riley Leonard did look good. Yep. And Duke won a very weird 28 to 7 game. Where would you stack that up against Colorado in terms of expectations <laughs> and what you thought was going to happen? Like which That is a great question. Is more on like probably a, a shocking result to you. I still would say Colorado, but the Duke result is very shocking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was very shocking. At least Duke was at home. Yeah. Colorado went to Fort Worth and did that. <laughs> that yeah. was that was the really impressive part. But Duke entered the poll. They're number 21. Clemson dropped all the way down to 25. Probably doesn't deserve to be ranked after that, but they are Clemson. They'll probably go ahead and rip off a bunch of wins after this. Yep. FSU moved up to number four, so they would be in a playoff four if, if uh, things were to end like this. LSU dropped nine spots down to number 14 after really not looking too good in the second half there. FSU kind of took it to them. Yep. UNC moved up four spots to number 17. So now we got four ACC teams in the rankings. <laughs> Clemson just barely. Yep. Colorado popped in. Do you think they should be ranked after beating TCU? I I think so because it, that was not fluky on on offense. It looked really good. So for that reason, I say yes. And I don't really look down on TCU for that loss either. I I think Colorado played a really good game and and TCU is you know they they're replacing a lot, yeah, <laughs> including their offensive coordinator. So it it. Uh, Maybe more of a should have seen it coming, but man, I, I just didn't think they were going to be that good up front and on the defensive line. And they, they stayed with TCU the whole time and won. Yep. So you're one through four is Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, and Florida State. That is actually my playoff four. Not exactly in that order, but that was my playoff four at the beginning of the year. And so far it's held. Uh, Ohio State is number five. Didn't look so hot. They looked fine, but you know quarterback they, they got some work to do yeah, yeah. it's kind of comes back to what we talked about when we previewed it that they have two decent quarterbacks but they do right as of now they do not have an elite quarterback they just but they do have elite wide receiver talent yeah let's move to the injury update on nick gallo he is unfortunately out for the year he had season ending surgery i'm not exactly sure what the surgery was but he is out for the year and that is very disappointing because one, it's a good hooky. He's been on the team forever. His brother was on the team for a long time. Uh, and now he's missing what is likely his final year uh, for the Hokies. And he's a great blocker and yeah. a solid player. Like that guy, a veteran that we could use this year. Yeah, and a veteran in that locker room for the tight ends. Uh, so yeah. he can still be that if he wants to be involved in the program and, and be, um you know, talk to the guys and help them, but it's a bummer not to have him really active um, and being, you know, the injuries, it just sucks that he he had a surgery and and to miss your last season is just the worst way to go out. Yeah, it's horrible. We are number 65 in the SP plus after week one. Purdue is number 64. So very, very close. And then if you go to the FPI, we are number 62. Purdue is number 61, so we cannot get away from them. This is a, from the advanced computer metrics and predictive metrics, this is a very even matchup. So we will get into the Purdue game a little bit later. Our pick had its first week, and I did not do so well. Me neither. <laughs> if, you look, if you listen to the pod and you heard our picks, you probably assumed that we didn't do so well because we picked a lot of bad games. But the ones that we didn't pick also didn't go great. So I'm, I'm bringing up the rear. Uh, but we did have two people that went eight and two. That was Hokie Bo and K Smith thirteen. Congrats to you! And then there were seven more people at seven and three. So some some good weeks for for people out there. I think there's about 
I can't remember because not everyone made their picks. You know, people sign up for a pick yep. and don't. So like we, there was probably 10 or 20 people that didn't make picks. There's probably 60 people that did. Yeah. So if you were seven and three or eight and two, nicely done. What if you're three and seven? Is that good? Is that- <laughs> well, <it's, laughs> guess what, Rob? It's one better than me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I will, I will say this. I am never good week one. Like I need to do the George Costanza in week one. <laughs> Just do the opposite of whatever urge I have. Cause I swear to God, as long as back as I can remember every week one, I just, I get blown out of the water. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I will pick it up. I'm going to make a run at this thing. Let's go. Let's get to the game recap. Yep. First quarter was two, nothing. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it wasn't a blistering first quarter. They had snapped the ball out of the back of the end zone. So it was two, nothing Virginia tech after one, but we opened up the passing game and opened up the second quarter on the first play with the, with a touchdown pass to lane, both teams scored twice in the second quarter and ODU put in a field goal the last second to make it 16 to 10 at the half. But we were able to separate by the end of the third with a touchdown run by Wells and added a couple field goals. Hokies won 36, 17 kind of going away from the longer game recaps this year. I like, it. and I want to allow the voices to recap the game for you. So I'm going to play the voicemails. Hopefully, if you're watching on YouTube, you can hear it. When I splice this into the pod, I'll have a little background music. All right, Hokies. Everyone just breathe. Step off the ledge. We didn't look too good. We didn't look too bad. Hey, Judy, this is Devin. You know, there was a lot of good things about this game. Sure, we can nitpick some things, but it's good to get the win. Lane Stadium was rocking. Wow, what a great game. Grant Wells. Take away some of the drops, take away some of the bad stamps that messed up the timing. Everything looks pretty good on offense. Really great to see Wells be a competent quarterback. And I guess having the right wide receivers around him was a big deal. Well, we played well. Just hope we don't leave points on the field and ACC play. On defense, though, that's a completely different story. It looked like we had no contain on the edge. We could not stop the A-gap run and rush up the middle. Can't run the ball, can't stop the run. I don't know how Odie's gashing us for 10 yards of carry. The defense, wow, five sacks. That is great. Three turnovers. Two fumbles, great, but they were both on like 10 plus yard run <laughs> plays, and we got lucky, timely. What I'm most curious about this week, of course, is how Robbie feels about the defensive end play. I believe he had uh, five sacks uh, on the game. Is this his insatiable lust for quality defensive end play faded, or, or does he need to see more? This could have been a really, really rough game. Glad it wasn't. Want to know if it was good. But keep your chin up. There's a lot of stuff to learn from this game. Came out with a really good win, covered the spread, scored 30 points, did everything that we wanted to do, although it may not have looked like some of our fans wanted. It was good to get a competent win. Nobody was magical, nobody did anything crazy, and we didn't shit the bed. That's as good as it gets, man. Hey, Pete. Robbie. How the fuck are you guys? I'm not going to say anything negative, man. Let's just get thrown on the swing together. Go fucking Hokies. Good fucking night. That was tremendous. And yes. I should have said earmuffs before earmuffs. we started that. Typically last year, I would say, hey, if you got kids in the car, watch the voicemails. That was a great, great few calls. I mean, I think I had like seven calls. They all came in at the same time after the game. If you want to get in on the reaction line, Next week, it's 540-251-2169. Call us during the game, call us after the game, and uh, I will squeeze your call in there. I chop them up, squeeze them together, and it was it was, it was, was great yeah. to have that. It adds a lot of texture to the podcast, and we love it. I Yes, it's so good to have the calls back. It just it, <laughs> it feels right, and, it, and we finished it off the right way with uh, Stoned on the Swing. So yeah. it, I was pleasantly surprised it almost it almost i wrote my entire preview of the game without checking twitter i still haven't checked twitter because i got rid of twitter so i i went off of absolutely nothing this week so i have no input from any of the um blogs any of that kind of stuff nothing and so the first thing that i had heard from anybody was actually the voicemails and I was like, man, that is, that's more positive than I am, which kind of made me feel good. Uh, I was, I was kind of excited. I did like how they waffled back and forth between like someone would say the exact same thing, like 
turnovers good and they has like turnovers but they were lucky yes <laughs> like there was such a that you know what do they call that the dichotomy of man yes. or something? <laughs> yeah exactly and <laughs> everybody can see the same thing two different ways that's for sure that's right i thought the story of the game was grant wells settling down yeah. and utilizing our new talent at the skill positions that's what I thought the biggest takeaway was is like, okay, we've got some playmakers that we can actually use this year. I was borderline scared shitless at the beginning of that game because it looked exactly like last year. There, it looked to a T. There were, there was the missed screen pass to kick us off to a wide open person. Right. There was the throw behind lane. There was, there was probably four or five very inaccurate tosses maybe one of those was a drop of those but it was it was tough and then things kind of settled down with time and uh alleviated some of my concern there and the announcers did talk about it they said he looks a little amped up and that <laughs> Hasselback really made us pay for that screenplay too he's like that would have gone for a long way mm -hmm. like, God damn it. He, he really rubbed but, it in but a after a few overthrows or whatever he was able to settle down 19 or sorry, 17 of 29, 251 yards, three touchdowns passing and one rushing with 27 rush yards, 165.5 rating and an 88 QBR. When you look at the numbers, you're like, oh my God, what a fantastic game. And I think the beginning of the game kind of tainted our view, yeah. even though it started to go really well. Yes, I it it took a it took looking at the numbers again, revisiting, watching film again for me to get rid of that initial because I had I think it's because I had so much fear going into the game that we may see something like last year that when we started to see it, I kind of freaked out and that You're just, right on. that stuck with me for a while. Um that that said, I think it, it could have been better. I mean, it, the um some of those passes we'd like to have back, I think, could have could have gone for for good yardage. Some of them, I think, the wide receivers in a couple places dropped some balls that they definitely should have put their hands on. We had a tight end that uh, dropped two, and it, it was it was a little bit tough. But overall, uh, the absolute story of the game is settling in and using the weapons. And I think that combined with that, we have true weapons. I think I now in, in seeing uh, Allie Jennings. Uh, one on the slant pass, uh, or uh, sorry, the fade pass uh, over to the uh, for the touchdown. That was incredible. I also like the sweep pass over to him, um, where he made a guy miss. Uh, had a nice blocker where he took that one in. Uh, Lane's touchdown on the crossing slant route was really really nice. Obviously, oh, yeah. he is fast there. There are some weapons uh, here with uh, wide receivers, and it is exciting because it's been a little while. And after later in the game, some of those throws were really nice, like right on the money. And Jennings was everything we thought he could be. I mean, that was a really good when you get two touchdowns. I know we didn't go over 100, but like that is about as good of a debut as you could ask for. Yeah. And he seems like that dude. And I just. You looked at Grant's QBR. People had been tweeting about it this week that, oh man, he's in the top 20. And I, I said it on, on the show on Monday. And it was his best QBR in a game since he got to Tech. It was the third best of his career as a starter. He's made a lot of starts. Yeah. I mean, it was a really good game from where it started. So it could have been a great game, but it was a very, very good game when it was all said and done for Grant Wells. I agree. We have to talk about the rush game uh, and you know, yeah. running the ball. So I want to combine it with the offensive line. I think the offensive line did an awesome job in, there were some times he was kind of running for his life, but did a much better job in pass protection than they have in, they did last year. Uh, that said, uh, where I think there was a lot of challenge was opening up holes for the run game because um, both Thomas and Tootin were were busting their ass for extra yards. That, that was not one of those kind of mail it in running back situations. Like those guys were hustling to get yes. every yard that they could on some of those runs and people were all over them. Uh, and maybe that was just 
a really good play calling by the defense, but it seemed like there weren't a lot of holes for them to actually break something. And you had Tootin had 19 carries for 55 yards. Thomas had 12 carries for 22 yards. Uh, I'm I'm not worried about it at all because I was actually excited about how they were running and the way that they were squeaking out yards on on runs where really they should have been dead on arrival. They should have been dead at the line of scrimmage and they were squeaking out four or five yards. So I actually come away um, feeling good about the running backs and then a little bit, a little bit worried about us uh, creating some, some lanes for them in the offensive line and uh, using the tight ends and otherwise. Did you get a chance to read French's piece? I did not. I told you I'm I'm coming in fresh. These are all okay. Robbie opinions okay. and whether I'm coming in the a complete opposite of you. I, <laughs> I I looked at way too much stuff and I did get a chance to read French's article, which I know me and you normally get a chance during the week to take a look at it. And he talked about the run game and how the zone scheme we were running and how close the guys are together in terms of the offensive linemen and the tight ends, even when the blocks were decent there was just so narrow of a space between the guys. There was barely any hole. Mm -hmm. And so your eye assessment is right alongside with what French had to say. The guys were running hard. Tootin was running hard and Tootin had 55 really tough yards Mm -hmm. on 19 attempts. He and Malachi combined for 94 yards from scrimmage. So you do, you have 175 yards from the three top wide receivers we brought in the, in the portal. And three, three, uh, three touchdowns and three catches over thirty yards. Then you add the ninety-four yards from scrimmage from Tootin and Malachi. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of production yep. from our stars. And so, I will, I'll take that every day of the week. But you're absolutely right. There were no holes in the running game. Anything that we did was on the backs of the backs. Yep. They, they were, they were the ones making it happen. So that absolutely needs to improve. I did think the running backs picked up blitzes really well. Yeah. That there was a lot of good blocks by both guys. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Um and that is why we had no sacks in the game. Mm-hmm. Because the the blitzers were being picked up and no the, the offensive line wasn't having a strong rushing performance day, mm-hmm. but with regard to the pass blocking, Grant had time more often than not. Yeah. And it- Yes, there and there was a lot of off-season talk about establishing the run and all those sorts of things. But coming into this season, if you asked what we really wanted to get out of the offensive line to see a change this year in the offense to make it better, we would say pass blocking, and that's what they did. So, so they they answered the call for what we needed to improve, which was give Grant Wells some time, keep him off his back keep them, keep the sacks off the board and allow him to use the playmakers. And I completely agree with you, especially in light of who we brought in. When you bring in Allie Jennings and you bring in Felton and Lane, you better be able to pass block because we have, we have to get the guys the ball. And that was what we were able to do. Moving to just a couple more things on the offense. Then we'll go to defense nine red zone chances in this game for the offense, six scores, and just four touchdowns. And I know uh, you're like, oh, we scored touchdowns four to nine times and, you know, field goal a couple other times. Well, if you only score like 44% of your time in the red zone, if you get a touchdown only that that few, that's like a hundredth in the country. Like that is not a good percentage. And we're sitting at 101, but normally it's like in the 115s, 120s, if you're down at 44% in the red zone for TD percentage. So that needs to be better. We need to capitalize on more of our red zone trips. And I know we went for it on fourth down, and that's going to bring me to the final point on the <laughs> offense. The, the swapping in and out of the quarterbacks on that early drive, maybe you go first. What what, <laughs> what were your thoughts on it? Uh, unnecessary. Uh, yeah. it, it just didn't. I, I'm not going to hammer the decision. It's done. We won the game, but it it just it seemed like we were using an excuse to get drones on the field and try and give him that package. And I think at that point in the game, before you know how things are going to play out, and knowing what our druthers were with last year, you just do whatever you need to do to score the touchdown. You don't screw around with you know something like that. Just in my opinion, and you make it really tough on Wells. 
to come in on fourth down and then throw a pass. Yeah. Like if you want to bring him in on fourth down and, and run a read option where he might have a chance to run the ball up the middle or something, that's one thing. But bring a guy in and out, in and out, and then expect him to throw a perfect pass. Like, well, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and there might there might have been a reason for that. I think they brought in drones that early, maybe because it was pre-planned, but maybe because they're like, okay, Grant's got to settle down. Let's bring him to the sideline. Let me chat with him, yeah. throw in drones for a few plays, and then we'll we'll see. And they put the kibosh on it early. They they cut it out and yep. and they moved on from it. But now we're hearing again that they want to get him in a package of plays against Purdue. And it just scares me because I remember when they did this with Marquise Williams and Mitch Trubisky at UNC. And it's like, keep doing it because you're screwing up the whole rhythm of your offense. And Marquise Williams is really good. Like sometimes, even if you have a, a guy you believe in athletically and he's really good as a backup quarterback or whatever, you can't force it. Yeah. You, you, you've got, it has to work and it has to work in rhythm. It's tough. And I know we've talked about this before, but we we've seen this story with Quincy Patterson and it didn't work out because unless where, you know, where it works out is if you do it a couple times to get it in other people's heads and then you throw them out there and then you have them throw a pass and just throw everybody off their get like that almost as a kind of a trick play. Just a really that is if you set that up, that can work really well when you need to pull that uh, pull that card. But I don't get the sense that that's what we're trying to do here. And and they did have drones throw a couple passes, but it's not they weren't deep shots. No, you know they were still controlled, and it didn't prevent them from stacking the box up yep. against drones. Yep. So if you if you can't prevent that, then you're never going to get his dual threat ability. And, Correct it's you're just ruining whatever grant can give you in that moment. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the defense. And first the good stuff. We got pressure as our callers talked about five sacks, nine tackles for loss. And a lot of that pressure was with four man fronts. Yeah. APR had two sacks. So we're looking, we're, we're, we're tracking, we're way ahead already. (laughs) So with two sacks right out of the gate on, on my prediction for the year, um, the edge, there was pressure coming off. There was a little bit of daddy Nicholas from APR in terms of over pursuit on the, his, his bull rush and that it found himself out of position and it opened up, uh, like the caller said, we were having trouble in the a gap and kind of up the middle runs. So I think the defensive line, uh, struggled, but I think it's even more so the defensive line with the linebackers and the linebackers filling the right gaps. And I think we were missing gaps and we were getting gashed because of it. Uh, I don't think it was necessarily just because of ODU's offensive line or, you know, their tight ends blocking or anything along those lines. I think we were, we were missing, you know, appropriate gaps and they made us pay for it. They had a 27 yard run, a 25, a 22 and a 15. Our longest run was 10 yards to put it in perspective. So, that there's 201 yards on the ground in total and but we got pressure and we i like the blitz i like the aggressiveness but we definitely we caught some uh we caught some punches because of it i think the good news is i think what we did wrong is largely fixable yeah and was a kind of a symptom of that the way they were spreading us out the way odu was running their offense and I th- you're dead on in that I thought it was the defensive ends losing contain until I heard pride talk after the game saying like, now nah, that was really a linebacker and DB issue of not filling the right gaps. Yeah. And French emphasized that as well. And if you looked at, when you go back and read French's stuff, it, it's enlightening that Tisdale made some bad reads. Keller made some bad reads, some mistakes, and it really cost us. And, and that was, the disappointing part was Keller wasn't great. Tisdale took over at Mike Stroman getting ejected. Didn't help anything either Correct. because he, he's a great tackler and a smart player. And mm-hmm. he probably would have been in there to prevent some of those long runs. But when you give up 201 yards, when they have a snap that goes over someone's head and loses 20 plus and you sack them and have nine tackles for loss. Well, that means it was a bad rushing night yeah. for your defense. And so 
that's got to get cleaned up, but I think it can get cleaned up. And I think that's one of those week one to week two things where a big difference can be made in that linebacking core. Yeah, I, I, I agree. It is, it is fixable if people are hitting the the right gaps. I want the, I want the ends to keep pursuing. I just want the linebackers and the defense and the you know defensive backs to get in there and that there's, they need to close up the holes if the defensive ends are going bull rush or pass rush on it. And uh, that didn't happen. And yeah, this used to happen under Bud Foster a lot too, is when we get aggressive on our blitzes, and I noticed this on like four or five plays on their long runs. Uh, we play man with the defensive backs and everybody's deep. And then the linebackers come in to fill holes. But And if, if they don't hit the right hole, all of a sudden there's like a 20-yard gap between the last linebacker that we have, who's now on the line, all the way to our defensive backs. So if they break a run for more than three yards, it's 23 yards. And hence why they had a 22 yard run, a 25 yard run, a 27 yard run. And I'm not a scheme guy. I'd love to talk to French about it, but I feel like somebody should be in that middle. One of the linebackers should be there or one of, you know, somebody's got to like be in position. Like they're, that's because they got, they got blocked out of the play. Yeah two yards off the line of scrimmage because they made the wrong read. Right. Like that, yeah. that's, that's the reason they're not there. And that is where we miss Dax, you yeah. know, cause say what you want about Dax, but I don't think they're doing this uh, the other night if we have him back there. So yeah. we, that, that really showed, uh, but I do expect it to get better. Let's talk about a couple of the good things before we move on to Purdue. Oh, that that's this thing with the rushing and all card can move. Yeah. So this, this may come back and yeah. we'll talk about it later. Uh, the secondary was solid, yeah. less than a hundred yards passing for ODU. That's what I thought was going to be the issue because of the system they run. But it turned out it just, it opened it up for those inside runs. Chris Coleman had the stat that we actually outgained them when they targeted Delane and Strong because Strong's interception <laughs> went back 32 yards and when, all the other passes that went to those guys was less than that. That's so. Funny. That's a great stat by him. But Nasir had five tackles, a pass breakup, and a forced fumble. Two hurries for Kelly Lawson, who could have played better, but he also had a tackle for loss. Burgos had that sweet sack early in the game. Penny had one. Jaden McDonald had one. And, of course, Dorian got the interception. So it was a good night, and the fact that we were able to gain three turnovers instead of giving up five in last year's game. And I think had a negative four when it was all said and done last year. I mean, that was a huge difference in this game. Uh, absolutely huge difference. If you, the transfers and the turnovers, which one of those transfers was, was helping get those turnovers. The portal helped us win this game. Yep. And it's, it's, I'm so grateful we were able to bring those guys in. Absolutely. I, I also wanted, I know he did not have a great night for a number of different reasons, but Keller is a is a beast. I, I I don't know if you saw him sometimes in the set, and I know he missed some spots and, and stuff like that. But the, we talked a lot about him being like a jack dude, just a physical freak of nature. There were a couple times where he was like, it was like a mini bomb went off, like in the center of like the line. Like he was just like ripping apart. You, like are you, you guys? I, I, yeah. this is tough with the names. Did you say Keller or Kelly? Sorry, Keller. Keller. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it was, um, I, I, I thought he has that ability. Yeah. He has that ability. Absolute. Yeah. Jaden Keller, just so we're all clear. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah, he, I, he popped off the screen a couple of times for me and I was like, damn, because you, you had talked about him a little bit and I know the team was talking about him, but, um, having seen it for the first time on the field, it was pretty, pretty exciting. I think he's going to get it. If he's going to progress throughout the year, I think he's going to be an absolute, you know, stud for Virginia Tech. Yeah, he's got to get there mentally. Yep. but he could be really, really good. And speaking of big hits, let's just briefly talk about the targeting calls. They were super frustrating, and I get it. They were there was some kind of emphasis put down before this weekend because there was a lot of targeting calls all over college football. But we yep. seem to have like two or three back to back to back, and a couple of our guys got thrown, and then. Well, one of their guys did get thrown yep. out too, but 
Henderson's hit that oh. that seemed just the same as all the other ones, but he got to stay and he's like their best player, but whatever I've, we have talked endlessly about, you can't make sense of these targeting calls. Yeah. Well, I think they reviewed what six or seven plays. It, it was, it was a, a lot. lot. It was there at were least three four. plays reviewed in the first quarter alone. <laughs> it, 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 that's well, we had two guys ejected and they had one guy ejected. So there's three. <laughs> yeah. yeah there and then go. they reviewed Caleb, Caleb Woodson. He mm-hmm. played a lot of snaps in this game, even though he's a true freshman and, but he got to stay. Yes. <laughs> it, it was, it was wild. But on special teams, we saw the great return by Holloway at the end of the game. Yep. There's, we got to make him the every time return man. And that's not a unique thing to say. Lots of people have said that after watching the game, but there's a double reason we can't risk lane to injury. No, he's too good of a receiver and Holloway is, he's a, I'm sure he could be a good receiver one day, but right now he's a tremendous punt returner. So spread the wealth here. Like let, yeah. let, let's protect lane and get Holloway an electric return man in the game at the same time. And lane. So, and we had kick returns, three kick returns, one from Tootin, one from Thomas and one from lane, which is crazy. Uh, yeah. and the first one, Tootin and Thomas were fighting over the ball before Thomas just, you know, <laughs> yeah. to, just nabbed it. Um, but they had 21 yards, 18 yards, 16 yards, but I definitely want lane off of kick returns. It's a, at least oh, punts. Oh yeah, at least, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. more often than not you're waving it, fair catch. But kick returns, a lot of times they're bringing it back, and that's full throttle football right there. That could really be dangerous for him, and I, I just don't want to risk that at all. Using your star players in the kick return or punt return game is something Frank Beamer did. It, mm-hmm. It's not. Some coaches have the philosophy. I want to do it. It gives us a better chance in the third phase of the game. Other coaches are. I don't want to hurt this guy. But when it comes to the Lane and Holloway thing, like you're not sacrificing any performance to get this guy on the field. So John Love made both his kicks. So we got our first, you know, real, real showing a John Love this season and he made both his kicks. So that was nice. Let's do, I guess some final takeaways. Did we kind of, we kind of covered a lot of the stuff. Did you have any final takeaways just Mm. on the win in general? No, I don't think so. I hit, I think all of my, my notes. Um, and I'm, I'm, I, I guess we, we got the question of whether I am excited or satisfied with the defensive line. And I, I am very excited about the defensive ends. I like the aggressiveness and I like what I was seeing. I just want to shore up a little bit and make sure that we're containing the run a lot better than we did in this game. But I, I like the aggressiveness and I think we got some speed coming off the edge. The pure playmaking ability on the edge just seems way ahead of where we've been the last couple seasons. I do think it was an extremely important win. We talked about winning by 14 points. That was my take. If we win by 14 or more, I'm going to feel good about us going to a ball well. That's true. And we won by 19. And getting a 19-point victory against a team that always gets up to play us, it was an important win and after last year, I am so pleased. Uh, it, during the game, maybe with some of the grand stuff, you're caught up in the, oh, we should be better. Oh, it could be more points. Oh, we left points on the field there. It was a good, solid performance. As the caller said, we didn't shit the bed. We didn't screw it up, especially Wells. He overcame those early jitters. That was really good sign. And we scored more than 30 points, which yeah. we didn't do all of last year. So I am grateful. It could have been 40, yeah, but... That's almost better, you know, like leaving some stuff out there. It gives the coaches enough things to point to on tape. We're not feeling ourselves, but still gives us some confidence. Yeah. So it might have been the perfect, let's call it the perfect victory, Robbie. <laughs> I think that, I think it is a good way to put it. But yeah, we we left probably yeah, 14, 14 on the seven for sure, because I yeah. really think we should have got that one, you know, touchdown. But even at the end after the Holloway run. So it, 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 we left that on out there. So I think it was a, I think it was probably 14 more points that we left out there that could be, you know, cleaned up and fixed. Let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor before we get to Purdue. The two deep Hokies under the influence podcast is brought to you by Roback. Roback is a performance activewear designed for those who crave activity. This is the polo company that just put out the new VT polos. It's a white shirt with maroon, Virginia's all over the polo. It's gorgeous. 
It's called the Commonwealth. And with our promo code 2DVT, you can get 20% off your first order from Roback. They have hoodies, tees, quarter zips, put a bunch of stuff in there because you're going to get 20% off all of it. Women's stuff too. Buy your girlfriend or wife something nice. Um, and that code again, 2DVT, 20% off your order. Roback, Crave Activity. I will be tweeting out the link. I did it a couple times, but I'll put it out there for you again tomorrow so you guys have it. We got a question. Before we get to our beer stuff, Robbie, we got a question from Joshua Carter, and it was for you. He said, how do you get used to the fact that N.A. beers cost as much as regular beers? (laughs) (laughs) Um pretty easy. I don't drink alcohol anymore and I love beer. So it's uh, the price. It's a good question because the price has, it's all supply and and demand, right? The demand used to be so low for non-alcoholic beers that, uh, and it's increased dramatically, but also to that non-alcoholic beer is actually very difficult to make. It requires a lot of the same processes, if not even more processes to Mm. actually make sure that the alcohol is not in there for it to be a non-alcoholic beer that tastes good. So for me, that's how I really rationalize it. If I wanted to go get O'Doul's, I could probably, I don't know what O'Doul's cost because I would never buy that. But if I go get O'Doul's, then it's probably pretty cheap. Maybe that price has increased as well. But uh, for me, it's the, I'm buying quality and that's what I actually care about, but I get it that there's no alcohol in it, but it's, it's a lot of times a pain in the ass to keep the alcohol out of it and have it be a good beer. That's a good point on that because the process itself could be more expensive. And so it kind of evens itself out. Um, and you could make the case that maybe it should cost more like yeah. who, who, who even knows, but I do get frustrated when I go to a bar or whatever, and maybe I, I'm DD that night, or you know, my wife wants to order a mocktail and it's nine bucks, and it's like, okay, this is literally just the exact same ingredients, but no alcohol. Yes, <laughs> like this should be way less. <laughs> I, I, I totally get it from that perspective, but for me, the there is no alternative for me. So it doesn't really, it's a little different than maybe some other people. And for obviously from you, it's like, well, then I might as well just get a real drink. So for me, there's no alternative. <laughs> so that, that, yeah, that and I really do happen. think that the NA is probably come in a couple bucks cheaper. Yeah. Like I would, even if you're getting usually a nice like a IPA dollar, NA. it's usually, it yeah. used to be like four bucks cheaper for NA when they were first starting to come out and they were starting to be good. Now they're like a buck or two cheaper for a six yeah. pack if you compare the regular beer and you can compare it because brew dog makes uh all of their normal like their elvis uh all, most of their beers they make a alcoholic and a non-alcoholic of oh, okay. basically the same beer like elvis and elvis af the as you know alcohol free or as f word is uh the they make it in both so you can actually compare are you drinking anything over there tonight I'm fully on the green tea and I was going to get a beer, but it would have been the same thing I've had on here. And I don't want to bore people. I know people get mad. So you just said your piece on, on, on beer. So yeah, I'll go with mine. Um, the Neshaminy Creek ultra Kush. I thought I said ultra crush, but it's ultra Kush. Ooh. Hazy IPA. And Neshaminy Creek is a Pennsylvania brewery. Not too far from me. This is 6% alcohol. It's really good. It's it's one of your standard hazy IPAs, but you know how I like to be in the 6.5 or even 6.0 range because I can drink more of them. Yep. But this thing is awesome. The Chamonix Creek, like I haven't always loved their beer, but this one's really impressed me. I decided to go for it and I'd recommend it. Bucks County, Pennsylvania is where this is out of. The Ultra Kush Hazy IPA. You can see it in the glass here. It's beautiful looking in my triple crossing glass. Uh, let's get to Purdue, man. Nine nine twelve p.m. It's a nooner on ESPN two. Purdue is coming off a loss. They they had an opening game, a buy game, as you might call it. They paid Fresno to come in to Lafayette. Fresno's not a buy they, game, though. You and I know that. So like, uh, no, not yeah. in the not in the sense they had to pay. Yes, but absolutely. no, it's not an easy game. It, it's never going to be an easy game. They're they're yeah. a good football program, yep. and they lost thirty nine to thirty five coming into the year. 
they had projected Athlon had projected Purdue to be 57th. Mm-hmm. Their FPI was 50. Their SP plus was 48. Well, all of those numbers have dropped. So the FPI went from 50 to 61. Mm-hmm. The SP plus went from 48 to 64. So it was, it was a sizable change for them. And they went to their championship game in the big 10 last year. They won the division. Mm-hmm. They played for the big 10 title, but that was a much different team. One, they had Jeff Brom. Yep. Two, they had five guys drafted off of that team. And they also were one of the hardest hit portal teams of anyone out there because so many guys followed Brom to Louisville. Yeah. They got, uh, they got poached pretty, pretty hard. That's for, that's for sure. But, um, yeah, it was a it was a tough game and a weird game too because if you look at it, Purdue controlled most of that game right up until the fourth quarter. Uh, their win per their win probability was very high, and then Fresno just you know put some stuff together, and uh, that's a tough tough loss for them. But I think their fan base was was at least recognized, at least from what I was reading, that Fresno State's a good team and certainly a well-coached team um, in in in, their, in both respects, I think offensive and, and defensively. And they were going up against a team with a first-year head coach in Ryan Walters yep. who runs a defensive scheme, which should be good at some point during the year. But I was listening to Cover 3, and they talked about how when he gets to a school, like even at Illinois, his defenses were awesome, but it took a little time to get there. This was week one against a team that is known to usually have a good offense in Fresno State, and they scored 39 points. In terms of what we can expect from their offense, they got a transfer. That's one of the guys they brought in. It was one of the few places where, even though they lost Aiden O'Connell to the draft, they brought in Hudson Card, and that was a pretty solid replacement. Yeah, he went 17 for 30, had 254 yards and two TDs and a loss, which is a huge bummer. <laughs> uh, but he's good, and he can use his feet, uh, so he's mobile. And I, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit frightened um, by him as well as his slot receiver, um, Dion Burks, who's an yeah. absolute stud. The two of them have me, uh, have me a little bit worried. Yeah, when I was thinking we were going to get thrown on just a little bit by ODU, this is this is what I'm really worried about right here because this is going to test our corners. Deion Burks, four for 152 against Fresno. He had an 84-yard TD last week, two touchdowns in the game. A couple other good weapons. The running back, Maccabi, is very good. He was right around five yards to carry last year. Yep. Almost a thousand yards and nine rush TDs a season ago, in addition to 274 rush yards. So he is a versatile player, and they brought back a bunch of other wide receivers. It wasn't just Burks; like they've they've got a handful of guys. Yeah, they got um, Abdur Rahman Yassin. He had four receptions. <laughs> you went for it. <laughs> I'll, I'll go for it. I don't. I don't. Give, I don't. Nobody's going to get that right. The announcers didn't even get that right. I'm sure. So. Uh, four receptions for 46 yards. TJ Sheffield, who is somebody that we talked about in the preview. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't watch this game. I went and I read from people that I kind of trusted that looked like they knew what they were talking about. Evidently, he had a shit game last week, like absolutely dreadful and was dragging ass. Uh, so perhaps he was out drinking the night before or something like that. But he is, if he's good as he uh, was expected to be, uh, and Yassin is very good. That's three really good wide receivers for for them that we got to be worried about. Yeah, and their offensive line also brought a handful of starters back. They did lose Miller to Louisville after spring, so that hurt them at the tackle position. But in general, they're pretty good. They didn't give up a sack against Fresno State. They're going to be able to protect Card pretty well. Mm-hmm. And so this is... This is creating a scenario that is like last week, but on steroids a bit because these are better players. It's a better, much better quarterback that's experienced with the quarterback last week. He played tough and I'll give Grant Wilson some credit because he played tough and he sustained drives. I worry about card running. I worry about these weapons. Fortunately, we do have good DBs. And so they're going to be put to the test. The thing about Purdue that really hurt them third down 
Yeah. Against Fresno, they couldn't stay on the field. They were 3 of 12 on third down. They were actually heavily out first downed by Fresno State. Fresno State, they had like it was like 27 to 19 advantage in first downs. So they that was a problem for Purdue. They couldn't stay on the field. Yes. Mockie needs to he had a good rushing day, but I think he's a better running back than what he showed against Fresno on the on the Purdue defense side they got gashed um by fresno i mean 31 for 44 for 366 yards so there they play uh five dbs two of their dbs are very good the other three are not uh very good and they're having communication challenges in the back end so i i think that that is a real opportunity for our guys we know that we have at least three if not four you know really good people that we can put out there so i think we can pick on their dbs um in in this game and um but you know we'll we'll, we'll see i think i think that's susceptible their defensive line is decent but uh, my understanding is they are having a lot of challenges at middle linebacker and their outside linebackers are playing better so um i don't know it'll be interesting you know i think that this game to your point um you said it could be like last week this could be like last week in the fresno purdue game just lower scoring like <laughs> that's how i was thinking about it um but i'll wait till my key thoughts of uh, to kind of back that up with you know what what i think could happen here to piggyback on what you said about the linebackers i thought that was going to be one of their better units the kid uh, Jenkins, Kydron Jenkins, he played defensive end last year. And since they're doing the scheme change, he's moved to outside linebacker. And he's a good player, but he's still learning that position. Mm -hmm. uh, he did have a sack against Fresno. So even though he's still learning, he seems pretty good. The other two linebackers, maybe not a ton of athleticism, maybe not a ton of grasping the scheme quite yet. Yeah. And it showed. And the pass D in the back end was terrible, as mm -hmm. you said. Uh, the four touchdowns passing one of the wide receivers on Fresno had 170 yards and two TDs on them. So this is an area for Allie Jennings and Jalen Lane to exploit. And that's all the more reason I don't really want to be messing around with the Chiron drones thing. Like I want to make sure Grant can get in a rhythm. If you, if you're going to do it, be smart about it. Please be smart about it because I think Grant could have a really big day. Their DBs had to make so many tackles last week. One of them had 10. Yeah. Another one had eight because they were just in their defensive backfield all day long. Yeah. And Cam Allen, one of their defensive backs, was just getting picked on. They were just throwing on him. I think they threw like nine passes on his on his guy. Like it was just, it was, it was, it was, it was pretty brutal. On special teams, their return men are actually pretty good. You talked about Sheffield, and he did bring back a punt 29 yards. I think it was the, like the only thing he did the entire day. But Tyrone Tracy took a kickback for a touchdown. Yeah. And so their return game is going to be something to watch. And uh, that could be the difference in this game because whoever has less penalties, doesn't turn the ball over, gets that one extra block, like that's how this game's going to go. Yep. And that can move us to our offensive matchup or our overall matchup thoughts. Uh, it's going to be a close one, man. What are you thinking? So here's, here's my concern back to what I, so Purdue just came off of a game that they played against a coach who knows to how to exploit defenses. And they had to deal with that as well as they scored pretty well against uh, a team last year, Fresno had one of like the best defenses in the country um, statistically. So that's kind of what Purdue just came off of in terms of what their first game reps were and what they got used to. We kind of screwed around with ODU for about a half a game and they had 86 new players, right? So Fresno is way better than ODU in my opinion. Um, they're, I think they're a better offensive team than Virginia Tech. I think Virginia Tech is a much better defensive team if we show what we should in that game. So where does it leave us, in my opinion? it I think this could be turned into kind of a, a shootout, um, a, a low-scoring like shootout in the sense of like, you know, final two possessions actually start mattering in this, um, in this game, um, just based on, on what I see here. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you. And, and you thinking like 27, 24, yeah. something along those lines. Yeah, I think that's probably how I would I would peg it. And it, it could be a final possession type game. Card can really whip it around, man. So while I trust our corners, I don't think we can or even should sell out against the run. I think uh, you just you got to get those gap fits and those DBs in the right positions so we can avoid the big scrambles and let our corners work and let the safeties work in the back end. And I think we'll be okay. I think Purdue's going to be a good tackling team. I don't think they're going to be in the position to make the tackles all the time. So our passing game should be effective. Got to get the ball out. They are probably going to play a little aggressive and there will be holes. French indicated that there was a lot more available to us in the passing game against ODU Mm -hmm. and that maybe Bowen got a little too conservative or maybe he was conservative on purpose. You're going to have to ditch that stuff in this Mm -hmm. one because I think we're going to need points. But I ultimately, I believe it to be a good matchup for us. I think we match up pretty well against Purdue and I like our chances. And when a team like Purdue loses that much talent to the portal, loses that much talent to the draft, they don't replace it easily. And I don't think, even though we're right next to them and all of these like metrics, I don't think they've caught up quite yet. And I don't think the metrics have caught up to us quite yet. Yeah. Because what we saw, you know, Jalen Lane wasn't a highly ranked guy. Allie Jennings wasn't a super highly ranked guy. Like, and adding them into this system, that hasn't all been accounted for quite yet. Okay. So I think our team is better than we look on paper and their team might be slightly worse than they look on paper. And I think all of that adds up to me thinking we can win this game. We just need to not turn the ball over and not go crazy with the penalties and play our game. Like then, and and we can win. You're not going, are you? I am not going. Yeah. You, you, you sold your tickets to most of the, yeah, I'm going to uh, Pitt. So bringing my daughter oh, to her first, her first football game. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Your, your first, her first game's going to be pit. Oh man. Yeah, I, believe that. <laughs> I, I figure, you know, if you're going to bring her, bring it to each hit pit, uh, that's yeah. what you got to do. <laughs> and you know, it could be, Hey, it's usually a slobber knocker of a game. So yes. hopefully, hopefully it is a good one for you guys. Mm-hmm. Before we get to our picks, I just want to tell you guys about prize picks. The 2D Pokies Under the Influence podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks, and right now they're the only daily fantasy app that you're that you can actually make plays using Ali Jennings, using Bashal Tootin, using Kelly Lawson. You can use your very own Hokies in the plays. It's very cool. Uh, so go to Prize Picks, download the app, and use code Memory Lane for a deposit match up to one hundred dollars. That's Memory Lane, all one word. And you get a hundred dollars to play prize picks, daily fantasy made easy. There is a great slate of games this weekend. Really good slate. There is so, some ACC games, but a lot of stuff outside the ACC. That's awesome. I have five games here. These are five games from our picks list. Notre Dame at NC States, the first one. I'm not even sure this qualifies as one of the really good games in the slate, but it's an interesting game, and it it's in Raleigh. Yeah, and it be, it being in Raleigh and Notre Dame coming back from, you know, I guess they had a game after the Ireland game, but uh, yeah. I this is their first real game. I forget who they played week. It was Tennessee. Week, it, Tennessee it was their State. first FCS team ever. Oh, I didn't know that. I mm. I think it was the first time they ever played an FCS team. Something like that. They're getting in on the goods. Those, uh, <laughs> you know, pay people games. Yeah. Uh Interesting that it's in Raleigh. I think that adds a little bit of spice here that could be good. Uh, and it's a seven and a half point spread. I am, we're going opposites this week because you and I were so dreadful. So I'm just going to go chalk and say, I think Notre Dame's going to go into cover the seven and a half. I'm going to take NC State, uh, probably against my better judgment. I just feel like. This is this is a tough test. And Sam Hartman, he's familiar with North Carolina, right? He he went yes. to college there in that state for a long time. So maybe this is a dumb pick by me, but that that spread seems a little bit tight for how good Notre Dame's looked. And you get that hook, I'll take I'll take NC State. Next game, Iowa at Iowa State. 
this isn't Farmageddon. What do they have a name for this? Like, <laughs> maybe it is Farmageddon. I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> oh, I don't. Is it? Yeah, it might be. There's there's some kind of name for it. But Iowa is going to Iowa State. Iowa State four and a half point dogs at home. I'm going to take the Cyclones. I'm to, also to taking the Cyclones. So okay. we we agree on that one. App State at UNC. This was a tremendous game last year in Boone. This year it's in Chapel Hill. 15 and a half point favorites at home are the heels. This is another one where like, yeah, UNC just looked really good. I should take them to cover similar to Notre Dame, but I'm going the other way. I'm taking App State. I, this is tough. Am I a believer? (laughs) I'm kind of a believer after that. Okay. Um, So I'm going to go UNC. Wait, and I'm looking back. Iowa, Iowa State, that's El Asico isn't it? That's yes. what it is. Yeah. I knew there was a name. I couldn't come up with it. <laughs> yes. Um, so sorry. I was like, I didn't want to like say LS. I'm like, that's kind of, I'm almost positive. That's LS. I so, think it's, it's K state is in Farmageddon. It's yeah. K state and like Oklahoma state or K state and somebody. Yeah. Um, next game SMU at OU. This is that Oklahoma team. We just talked about looked really good against Arkansas state. How are you feeling about our new ACC brethren here going up again, going to Norman? <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, dude, OU just dismantled. Uh, so that that was not fluky. That is a lot of points. I got to go OU here. And they have that, that quarterback that got to play a bunch, the backup quarterback who yeah. could be better than Dylan Gabriel, who's really, really good. Yeah. Man, I don't ask me why. I'm taking SMU because I think part of part of it is. Wouldn't you think that would be like a 21 points spread? Yeah, I think so. And so it's I'm smelly. Yeah, it just seems a little smelly. I'm taking SMU. I'm just I'm I'm playing the weird lines. I'm going to go freaking oh, two and eight again this going week. With the Mustangs. Texas. <laughs> yeah, I'm going with the Mustangs. Texas at Alabama this is the last game we're going to pick. This is the big one. Last year. You can make the argument that Texas should have won that game. Yeah. Came down to like a two point conversion or something, something like that. I can't remember exactly. Bama seven and a half point favorites at home. Are you a believer in Sarkeesian? Yes. Um, as long as he's off the booze, then yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer. Um, that's seven and seven and a half. Given what happened last year, that's a Nick Saban revenge line. Like right. that, that, that's what that is, right? That because it was such a close game, Saban's going to come back and dismantle Texas. And, and guess what? I believe it. So I'm going to go Alabama. It's a it's a top eleven matchup. I don't think uh, Texas was able to crack the top ten this week. So it's a very a very good matchup, best matchup of the weekend probably. And I'm just delaying my pick because I have no idea what I want to do here. I had, I think I had Texas. But I, I just, I just don't buy them. I'm taking Bama. I, they were my playoff pick. I'm taking Bama to cover the seven and a half. All right. Nick Saban does revenge pretty well. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> and he's, they didn't even lose, but he's still, you know, he's still mad. It doesn't matter. Like for him, <laughs> rat poison uh, is yeah. he will create rat poison out of anything. I did want to just run off some of the other games. We got Colorado and Nebraska. And so that's an old big 12 matchup that um, is now going to be a big 12, big 10 matchup. (laughs) Colorado is at home and they are favored. Mm. Nebraska looked okay in that Minnesota game, yeah, but kind of a boring game in general. The other games I had, uh, I just want to mention Utah is going to Baylor. Baylor just had, an embarrassing loss. One of the worst yeah. performances against the spread of any team this past weekend. Yeah, that was bad. Texas A&M going to Miami. Mm-hmm. That is a decently important game for the conference. Um, yeah, I would say and it is. I, yeah, and A&M's ranked. Yep. So Miami's, you know, they're 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 the dogs in this one. Uh, they're four and a half point dogs at home. So we'll see. Mississippi and Tulane. Ole Miss and Tulane. This is a huge game for Tulane. This is like their Super Bowl because they're a G5 team. They don't get many chances to make that impression. This is a big game for them. And I'm Ole Miss is favored by seven and a half, but it is in New Orleans. So Ooh. that's that's a fun one. 
I like that. Uh, I think that's about it. I, Oregon, Texas Tech. Texas Tech took some steam off that one, losing yes. to Wyoming last weekend. Wisconsin, Washington State. That's a that's a weird one. And Stanford is playing USC, but that is not expected <laughs> to be very good. <laughs> no, those they're at two different places. Well, I mean, one of them's you know an ACC school, so you know that goes goes to figure. So. Um, there actually is a, an old Big East matchup happening this weekend. Oh, is there? Oh, oh! In the mid, the mid Big East. After we left, yeah. Before Pitt came over, they're playing Cincinnati this weekend. Oh, wow! That's and pretty good. That and Cincinnati looked good last week. Yeah, they did. And so I, I'm, I'm, and that's the new Scott Satterfield team. I want to see how that Pitt Cincy game turns out. That's going to be an interesting one too. I agree. But anyway. That's going to do it for the pod tonight. You can hit us on, I was going to say Twitter, but it's it's X. You can hit us on X at 2DVT. <laughs> you can check out the shows we did. Our season preview has was, was been doing really good numbers. Uh, me and Robbie's episode from last week did well. And of course, the two latest CFB Mondays are on the feed. I'll be back at 9 a.m. on Monday to the, do the week two recap. Not sure who my guest is going to be quite yet, but Kyle Bailey joined me last week, and that was freaking awesome. I really appreciated him coming through. And you can email us. It's 2DVT at gmail.com is the email address. All of our stuff's up on sonsofsaturday.com if you need to find any of our pods, any of that stuff. And until next week when we're celebrating a hopefully big win over Purdue Pete, go Hokies.